0: Listening to Wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast. My name is Colby and I'm the content manager here at PatientWorthy. Today I'm happy to welcome a very special guest to the show. Dr. Asim Roy is the medical director for the Ohio Sleep Institute and a lead investigator for a pivotal phase three trial assessing the effectiveness for a compound currently called FT218. That's a formulation developed by Avidel Pharmaceuticals for treating excessive daytime sleepiness and cataplexy in adults with narcolepsy. Dr. Roy is joining us on the podcast today to give us some insights into the recently announced results of that clinical trial. Dr. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're very glad to have you on. Thank you for making the time today. I know you have a very busy schedule. Dr. Roy, we've had guests on the podcast to discuss narcolepsy in the past, but to start with, would you mind giving us an overview of the condition for listeners who may not be familiar?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, it's one of my main interests in my area of expertise, which is in the sleep medicine space, particularly because it's a disease that's, you know, relatively rare. Uh, We estimate somewhere in one in 2000 individuals suffer from narcolepsy in the United States it can be very subtle and uh, challenging to diagnose. So for me, that I think is one of the biggest things that I um, enjoy treating patients with it and, and trying to understand the disease better. But basically it starts usually around puberty, early teens to late teens, early twenties. And it comes on gradually where you start becoming more sleepy, more tired, lower energy levels through the day. and it can affect individuals in different abilities in terms of they're able to function at school, their ability to do things in the evening with their friends. So socially it can impact them, driving can be impacted. So it really can affect a lot of different aspects of individuals lives. But the the primary symptom is tied to the sleepiness uh, that comes on and it can be intermittent throughout the day. Um, It can affect nighttime sleep as well. So the quality of sleep gets disrupted. And then there's other features that can be associated with it, but not always present in all cases that are tied to REM sleep or dream sleep. So people can see things or hear things as they're drifting off to sleep or as they're waking up, uh, kind of like a hallucination basically, but it's basically their dream coming through while they're partially awake. And there's something called sleep paralysis, which some people experience where they wake up and they can't move. They're partially awake and partially in this dream state, which is normally you are paralyzed when you're dreaming. So this is kind of getting trapped between being partially awake and partially in that dream state. And then there's a feature called cataplexy, which is specific to one type of narcolepsy where individuals lose muscle tone that's often triggered by emotion. So if they're happy or laughing really hard or angry or startled, they may lose uh, some muscle tone. And it could be subtle. It doesn't have to be completely collapsing to the ground. It could be just one hand goes weak or their face sags or their eyelid droops. So again, very subtle features sometimes that aren't always like easy to relate to why, you know, how is this related to my sleepiness? But these are all can be features of narcolepsy.
0: I think that many people are probably familiar with at least an idea of narcolepsy, uh, one they've likely gained from TV and movies. What do you feel is most misunderstood about this condition?
1: Uh, probably the Hollywood <laughs> portrayal. <laughs> um, I think it it just shows this extreme version of narcolepsy, where people are falling asleep in their food or falling asleep while talking to someone and and that happens i mean it's not that it doesn't but it's not the most common type of people with narcolepsy they most people can kind of stay awake okay they just are fighting it or struggling or need to stay on their feet and if they slow down they can they feel more tired and so it it's not always this extreme like you're going to fall asleep while in the midst of something it's just, you may just have low energy and, and be sleepy, but not necessarily fall asleep in all those scenarios. So, for me, I think getting that awareness out that there's a spectrum to the disease uh, and there's a lot of gray zone to it, it's not this all or nothing kind of phenomenon. You know, after we see a patient and we believe they might have narcolepsy, we go through some testing and I tell them this is what we believe they have after, you know, the testing's done. Many people are very surprised. Because again, they perceive this Hollywood version of it and they don't do that extreme version. So they can't relate that that's something that they have because they don't realize there's this whole spectrum to the disease. So for me, that's where I think the delay to diagnosis often happens. You know, this disease is often diagnosed 10 to 15 years after it starts. And that's mainly because I think a lot of people, you know, can blame it on other things. Uh, mood disorders also are commonly, uh, diagnosed with people with narcolepsy, such as depression or anxiety, ADD or ADHD are often diagnosed in people with narcolepsy. So they get labeled or diagnosed with these other diseases that can treat some of their symptoms sometimes. And so it takes many years before they're actually seeking out a, a sleep specialist.
0: Can you talk about some of the burdens that narcolepsy places on patients?
1: I think just their day-to-day activities and day-to-day life, you know, they are challenged to get through a day uh, with normal amounts of energy. And so whether they're in school or whether they're at work and whether they have a family, every piece of their life takes a lot of energy. You know, most individuals have to allocate so much time and energy into one thing and don't have anything to give to do other things. So they often are sacrificing different things. Like they can't make it to evening baseball games for their, with their kids or they're worried about driving home after work to pick up groceries or, or do anything or make dinner at night because they've kind of expended a lot of their energy through the day. So I think the day-to-day burden is, is a challenge. It's a challenge for us to always understand or appreciate that when we see our patients you know, for 20, 15, 20 minutes in the clinic, It's hard to know how the last three months or six months have been going on a day-to-day basis. So I think that burden uh, gets internalized quite a bit. It can lead to some hopelessness or frustration. You know, they start doing less and less, and that can affect their mood. So it can kind of have this ripple effect. What does the treatment landscape currently look like for narcolepsy, particularly
0: those symptoms that you've mentioned before of excessive daytime sleepiness and cataplexy?
1: Yeah, so for excessive daytime sleepiness, for many years, we were really limited with stimulants um, such as methylphenidate or dextroamphetamine, kind of the Adderall, Ritalin-type medications. And then 90s and early 2000s, we had a, a new kind of class called wake promoting agents, which modafinil or Armodafinil kind of fall under. Soriamphetol is a new one that falls under that group. Um, They all kind of affect dopamine typically to kind of help keep the brain awake and some of the noradrenergic peptides that help the brain stay awake. And then in the early 2000s, there was a medicine approved, uh, which was sodium oxabate, which was kind of the first drug that was FD approved for both daytime sleepiness and cataplexy. So for cataplexy, prior to that, our main tools were antidepressants. So drugs that affect serotonin or acetylcholine, kind of the neurotransmitters that are used to treat depression, specifically serotonin, can help with cataplexy sometimes. So prior to the early 2000s, that was what we had pretty limited. And then for a long time, it was just sodium oxabate and these stimulants that were mainstay of therapy. And then the last couple years, there's been a few more options, one in the histamine space, So this is kind of a new area that increases histamine in the brain to keep the brain awake, which can also help with cataplexy as well. And then there's new formulations of the oxabate. The sodium oxabate has come out with different variations as well. Our our toolbox is getting a little bit bigger and bigger to help these patients with, you know, the pharmacotherapy world. There's non-drug options that we try to focus on as well, but Uh, most individuals do need to rely on a medicine to help kind of help them function better.
0: Turning to the REST-ON study specifically, which I mentioned earlier, you're a lead investigator for. Can you provide us with more detail about the study?
1: Yeah. So it was basically looking at a formulation tied to oxabate, uh, sodium oxabate. The product's called FT-218. And it's a once a night formulation. Like I mentioned earlier, this sodium oxabate that was available in the early 2000s, uh, when it was first FDA approved, is a formulation that lasts a short duration, you know, an hour, hour and a half, and it starts wearing off. And you actually have to set an alarm to wake up during the middle of the night. So you take this at bedtime, and then you set an alarm, you know, two and a half to four hours later, you wake up to take a second dose and go back to sleep till the morning. And that's basically what we would have to do for the last 20 some years that this drug has been available for. And so FT218 is basically a new formulation that allows us to take it once at night and last the entire night without waking up to take a second dose. It's kind of a new way to treat the same disease, the same molecule, but in a way to deliver the drug in a, for many patients in an easier way so they don't have to wake up in the middle of the night to take a second dose is it going to be just as efficacious? And what does the side effect profile look like when you compare it to the data that came out on sodium oxabate from the early 2000s? And it showed excellent efficacy in terms of patient's ability to stay awake better through the day. They were able to stay asleep through the night and felt more rested. This is on subjective and objective data as well. And in terms of the side effect profile, it looked very similar to the current molecule in terms of, you know, the most common one is nausea. Some people feel sleepiness that lasts a little longer. That's something to monitor. Weight loss was reported as well. And uresis, bedwetting was reported. So th- these are some, you know, obviously serious side effects that we need to monitor, but it was uh, no, not significantly different from our previous studies that were looking at sodium oxabate.
0: The compound being studied here, FT218, what are some of the other ways it differs from currently available treatments for excessive daytime sleepiness and cataplexy?
1: The big thing is just targeting not, you know, the nighttime, which is often ignored in patients with narcolepsy. It's always perceived to be a daytime problem, but it's equally a nighttime problem. It's a, essentially a 24-7 problem where the brain is not sleeping properly at night which is part of the issue where individuals with narcolepsy have very disrupted nighttime sleep. Some of them perceive it, others sleep through it, but yet still feel tired in the morning because the quality of their sleep is pretty poor. What this helps target is this quality of the sleep, which then improves the daytime sleepiness. So it's kind of a different way to think about how to treat excessive daytime sleepiness without a stimulant or a wake promoting agent by focusing on improving nighttime sleep.
0: Can you talk about some of the next steps that will be taken in evaluating FT218's effectiveness as a treatment?
1: There is some ongoing clinical trials looking at switching people, individuals who are on sodium oxabate or an oxabate product that's twice a night and converting them to a once a night and seeing how well do they do when we change them when they were previously on twice a night. Um, I think that's an important area that we need to focus on. There's other disease states that I hope we can focus on in terms of other people that have sleepiness that is not necessarily narcolepsy. Um, And so I think hopefully, future research in those areas are are necessary with uh, compounds that we have available for the narcolepsy space. Uh, But the big one is really tied to uh, the current individuals with narcolepsy that are being treated with twice a night therapy with sodium oxabate or oxabate product and switching them to once a night and and seeing how well do they do? Will this work for uh, most of these patients? And and that data is uh, yet to be published. Sort of
0: taking a bigger picture here, what is one thing you wish you could reiterate to the broader community about narcolepsy and why it's so important to pursue treatment options for patients?
1: Well, I think people just need to be advocates for themselves. Um they need to really seek out care and 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 push their clinicians what if they're not figuring out why they're so tired? Why are they so sleepy? You know, to help them kind of be an advocate for themselves to go pursue getting a diagnosis to see if this is really what's going on with them um, again not to feel shame for a disease that doesn't really have an outward manifestation you know and and this is I think a big challenge with family and workers and colleagues and schools that don't understand narcolepsy fully individuals with narcolepsy often feel like they're on this island by themselves and no one's really appreciating what they're going through and can often get labeled lazy or they're not doing their work and don't really understand, Hey, you know, they really can't do their work. They need more time to do tests and things like that. So for me, pursuing treatment is to help improve their quality of life. We have so many patients that have seen us in their thirties and forties who wish they were treated when they were 15 or, you know, when they're going through high school and college, where, you know, if they knew this is what was happening, could they have functioned better or done better? Obviously, hindsight's always 20-20, but it is something that I see if we can tackle this disease when it starts, I think the outcomes can be much better. Even patients who are currently diagnosed with narcolepsy and are often on stimulants or wake promoting agents and, and yet aren't getting better, you know, to pursue that idea that, Hey, this is also a nighttime issue. And many of their clinicians and providers that they're seeing are often just focusing on the daytime and, and really reiterate, no, there's, there's this tool at night that can maybe help me feel better, you know, help them go down that road and see if this is a good option for them. And there's now multiple ways to treat them at night. So I think that door is starting to open up even wider and wider. So, you know, not to leave it at, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of in this rut or status quo of a daytime therapy when the daytime therapy is helping them, but maybe not enough, or could they be better? You know, this is all relative to where they were before any treatment too. So some patients don't always perceive how much better could they feel because they're already feeling better relative to where they were without any treatment. So that sometimes is a challenging path to go down because they're kind of happy with already feeling better. But the question is, could they even be better than where they are at that moment? So I think it's important to, again, be an advocate for your own health, be aware that there's, you know, what are all the options for me and see which one might be a good fit. Well, Dr.
0: Roy, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure to talk to you, learn more about narcolepsy, and get some insights into this very important study.
1: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully, um, this awareness, you know, getting that word out and the awareness out is critical for this disease.
0: If you'd like to learn more about FT-218 and the studies being conducted, you can find more information online at www.restore-narcolepsy-study.com. I know that's a mouthful, so we'll just leave a link to that website in the show notes for this episode so that you can check that out. And remember, you can always keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting patientworthy.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for PatientWorthy on those platforms. A quick shout out to those listeners who have been leaving reviews of the show on their favorite podcast platforms. It may seem like a small thing, but leaving a review really does go a long way toward helping us out, so thank you for that. And finally, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or if you have an idea for a future episode, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to colby at patientworthy.com. That does it for today's episode. Thank you once again to Dr. Roy, and thank you for listening.